You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. 40 years of this is Emeritus Rex with Rabbi Ruben Yoshua Pupko of Beth Israel Beth Aaron in Cote St. Luke, Montreal. Uh, Erev Shabbos, unusual time for us to be recording. Um, I know that Rabbi Pupko, uh, you're probably off the hook a little bit for a major Shabbos Agado Joshua this year, or, or are you not? I'm doing it on a Wednesday night on Zoom. <laughs> that's the, that's the, is it going to be called Shabbos Agado, even though it's Wednesday? Yes. Wednesday is the new Shabbos. <laughs> so in other words, there isn't going to be a big speech on, on Erev, Erev Pesach. Well, generally, by the way, in years like this, the Shabbos Agado Drosh was, was given the week before. Was that, that, that is the custom. It even says that, by the way, I noticed in the Ezra's Torah Luach. Uh, okay. On this week's parish, it says, no, again. It says that the Shabbos Agado Drosh, because again, it's too late to give a Shabbos Agado Drosh to her face up, and no one's really concentrating and when are you going to do it? So, um, so in years like this, uh, which, by the way, is 11.5% of, of, of the reality. Very impressed by your statistical brilliance. Yeah, no, I read that on Wikipedia. Wikipedia has a page entitled Erev Pesach on Shabbos. There's a Wikipedia page. I'm not sure what that means exactly, but there's a Wikipedia page. And I perused it because I was curious. And it has the stats there, 11.5% of the time Erev Pesach falls on Shabbos. And uh, the Ezra's Torah Lord guides us to say the Shabbos Agadah a week early, meaning this week it would be tomorrow. Right, because because obviously the you know this this speech that we know in Europe was the two times a year that the Rav would speak Shabbos Agadah and and uh, Shabbos Tshuva was meant really to be an instructive uh, speech. Although we know rabbis historically used it to show off their uh, not to show off, but to reveal the brilliance of their, uh, the profundity of their thought in so many different areas. Listen, every community had their own tradition, but it was often, you know, a billful. It was uh, a halakhic discourse. But again, in recent years, it's, I would say, veered towards uh, Musa or Agarita, you know, uh, things like that. Did it mean, I know, know, before we get into uh, the meat of what you wanted to discuss, let's just talk a little bit about Shabbos Agarot Droshas that that you used to give. Um, uh, Was it did you give it in the afternoon, as was the custom? I would always give it Shabbos afternoon before mint. Uh, and 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 you would were you would you get a large uh, contingent of a lot of people would come? Yes, I mean yeah. people come in. You have Marvin Kindness give out. It's very exciting. Yeah. So, so, and 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 how long did you usually because you can't really recycle last year's or could you? Uh, no. Uh, it, it, I mean, no, you can't recycle. Um, I mean, you can repackage some old stuff. Like, you've got to go back about There should be a, a fix in law, a statute of limitations on when you can begin recycling. But it's certainly about 20 years you can recycle. Wow. I, I know, again, I don't want to say much, but I know that the rabbi here, who of Langeyoren, pretty much recycles every other year. So, I, I mean, I hear this. No, I mean, no, you can't do it. But I would say the funniest experience I ever had was I was changing planes in, I think, Amsterdam. Uh, on the way to Israel one time, and a guy comes over to me who I had no idea who he was. And he started asking me about a question I, I about something I'd said in the Shabbos I go to the like seven years earlier, and I had no idea what he was talking about. 
mean, I, you know, I, I had no memory of anything I had said. And, um, but, uh, but it is, but, but again, it, it does take, you know, significantly more preparation than what a normal shear or, you know, drush or even a shear. Uh, you know, it's longer, it's much, usually about an hour long and uh, in, in, in a little longer, maybe. And what I would al- often do is I'd run out of time, hit Mincha, and then finish up at Shalashuri. Wow. That's you know, the really last, the last five or ten minutes of it, you know, which is usually like the more how do I put it the the, the more poetic uh, part of the drasha. So it's um, I'll tell you what I my memory is a lot of fun. I, mean, I, I probably still have it, but I haven't looked at it in a long time. Is the Algerman Journal would have all the ads for the Shabbos sure. Little Commission? Who is giving where? Right. So when I when I was a, when I was a young rabbi and my late father was still around. He would put an ad in for me every year, so like I would, I'd be there with all these old guys to be good as a rabbinic generation, you know. So I was as if anyone would come to my drush because it was in the argument of Jamal. I mean, it wasn't exactly, you know. It's great. To, it was great to be able to cut that out. For your I just like it was funny for me to look at it. it and for your scrap, especially all the Yiddish honorifics about yeah, yeah, Agoy Nagodel, but of course the Ravagon, Sinai Vaykahalim, you know. That's what your dad, so you should have lifted Gadei, I'm sure, also got nachas from. That yeah, did. it was a lot of fun. But, um, did, you know, we, we talk about, you know, obviously it's part of it is uh, the showing that the rabbi is worth his salts, and um, but you enjoyed the foray into some sort of meaty Talmudic question and and trying to answer it based on some sources. That's yeah, you listen, listen, Pesach, both both Shabbos Agadol and Shabbos Shuvah, there's a vast array of topics one could speak about, obviously. And, um, and uh, you know, on uh, so there's no lack of, of possible subjects, but again, it's, it's usually something that is, you know, uh, involves multiple more than multiple sources and uh you know and it's about tying things together and presenting an interesting perspective you know? yeah. uh, which is uh, which is unusual i mean i know that that it's that's the usual but if you go back into the little look into the history of shabbos Hagodo, you see that a lot of it was originally meant to be instructive because of all the the details that are involved. right it was halachic it was more halachic because there are so many it, it's a time where the, the knowledge level needs to be expanded because in the typical Jewish home of the Middle Ages, especially, they had to kosher everything. Dinim of Hagola and kashras and matzah and other things. These were things that needed... You know, I've gotten a number of questions. I should have called you up because I didn't have great answers. But I have two questions um, and I'm trying to work on uh, and, 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 and to hopefully give an answer to. One of them has to do with uh, somebody who... Um, really is in a bind in terms of having a non-Jewish person be with them at the uh, during the three-day first days of Yontif. And the person wanted to know what would be the, any of the special uh, considerations in terms of having a non-Jew uh, be part of the Seder experience, which was which it has, and cooking for the non-Jew and other things. And then I have another question that, that, that was uh, put at my desk, which is a, a fellow who is a, a very wonderfully proud and, and, and brilliant man, but he can't, uh, because of diabetic reasons, he can't have wine or grape juice, and he wants to be able to, it means a lot to him to run the Seder, and he wants to be able to run the Seder drinking uh, Brumfin. 
and um, yeah. So I'm, I'm, those are the two. Those are two questions that I'm trying to answer. Maybe when we stop recording, I'll get your input on it. Yeah. But 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 what, what I and I'm not a, an official rabbi, but these are people turn to me. So I would assume that part of it. By the way, I just want to interrupt you. In my eyes, you are an official rabbi. Thank you. Can I please have some twenty percent of your salary? Absolutely. <laughs> I'm holding you to that uh, by the witness of those great rabbis behind you in this picture. Um, but what I mean is, is that, you know, you, you, as the years went on, you didn't feel like you wanted to tell people an interesting psaac or something they should know. And I woke up with the Seder that's coming up or you do that normally. I, do that all, I mean, there's so many other, you know, but listen, both my Zaydas behind me gave glasses twice a year, you know, yeah. and, uh, and, uh, you know, it's a different world today. I mean, everybody who's in a normal Orthodox world today has heard multiple shiurim on Hilchus Pesach over the years in the, and every single year. And, uh, you know, uh, this year with Erev Pesach on Shabbos, they've heard multiple explanations and guidance on, on how to navigate, you know, the collision of Shalashudas, not being able to eat matzah or chamez yeah. and, and everything else. Uh, they've heard multiple uh, shiurim, and everybody, you know, you know, was on the internet and has read everybody's uh, overly lengthy uh, discourses on egg matzah and uh, and every other telling issue of, of, of the day. So you know, there's it, there's more access to information. But I think by the time a rub gets up on Shabbos Legado, the people in front of him are not looking for answers to practical questions. No. Yeah, yeah. And, and 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 what they are looking for is sort of an entertainment. Uh, well, you disparage it by saying entertainment. They're looking for stimulation and learning. Yeah, I know, but part of it is is, is to enjoy and part. You're of a it cynical is. man. I mean, that's really what it is. You're just I'm very, just I am very bitter. I'm very you're a bitter, bitter cynical man. Yes, yes, I am. I am more embodiment. I'm the yes. embodiment of more. You are. I mean. You are the earthly manifestation. Yes. 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 <laughs> I am. I'm, I'm ready to put a little, a little, little sticker on myself. That uh, <laughs> call me more, kick me, savor me, love me. <laughs> okay. What I wanted to ask you. Okay. So that. So your Shabbos Agodol Drosha is on Wednesday, and uh, I, you know, I'm sure it's going to. I'm talking you, about Hasebe. If you want to know. Okay. All right. You know, if I, I can give you, as usual, I'll give you the, your cheat sheet sources if you need some. <laughs> um, uh, there are some, there are actually a say, but I just, I do want to say one thing before we move on. There is that, you know, it, it's one of the, um, and I'm sure your research has borne that out, is, you know, is that it's one of the um, uh, ideas that it, it's, it's so misinterpreted in terms of a leaning it's much more than leaning. It's obviously a whole ambiance, a whole ambiance of, right. of wealth, of, of creating this illusion that you are a an aristocratic, right. uh, wealthy figure. It's not just, hey, did you lean on? Did you lean onto your left? It's really something much more than. I that. mean, there is a, there is this. I mean, there is a tendency in, in our community to uh, to over specify and, and, and literalize at times, which. Kind of, it, it, it runs the risk of losing the, the meaning and the spirit behind it. Uh, and I don't want to engage in, a, in an overly broad critique or inappropriate critique, but you know, it's, you're right. It's not did I lean far enough? You know, it's not that. It's uh, you know, it, it's it, you're right. It's about the ambiance. And again, our our the, the manner in which we arrange our dining room table is significantly different than it was when the words of table were first articulated. Right, so sure. one has to think of a way. To, to do the correct 
halachic posture, yeah, right, to assume the right posture, but also aspire to the sensibility that that that, that requirement yeah. intended. Yeah, I, you know, again, just to get a little bit scholastic on you, we, and I'm sure you're, you're aware of it because it's in the Shulchan Aruch, but we know that the, the, the opinion that ultimately goes back to the Rav Yoh, Rebbe uh, Levi, who was the greatest German scholar of his time, he was the Ramosha Feinstein of Germany. He said this thing doesn't is not relevant anymore. Right, this thing is not true. And right, when you sit on the floor in Istanbul, that's how you sit. But we don't right. sit there. Right. That's right. So therefore, and, and he says, take a look. Go, even go to the to, to the to the heights of power of aristocracy. Nobody is leading that way. Nobody is right. nobody is on a big couch. And therefore, the whole thing really uh, should be jettisoned because it really doesn't reflect the way the most wealthy, uh, you know, right. godly person should. And of course, that opinion of the Ravio, because of the of of, of the muscular uh, impact that he had in terms of everybody, the Ravio. So, okay, you can be Saimach on the Ravio. Like, okay, look, the Ravio says that, but but basically, the Vilna Gon, I think, in his in, in his commentary in the Haggadah, uh, goes far to say, okay, you're right, Ravio, you're correct, but that's one of the weird things that we do. In other words, that's, right, right. The, 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 in other words, keep it there. Let's keep a Saber because it is so um, exotic and weird and and. I haven't stolen the thunder from your, your Shabbos drosh. No, no, not at all. But no, I, I'm going in a very different direction. But you're absolutely right. In other words, I was about to say what you just said, but much less proficiently. You, you, I was, in other words, it's become a basket of things. It, it, it's included the basket of things we do almost to provoke curiosity more than the original intent, which was to display grandeur yes. and relaxation and luxury. And right. Um, you're right. It, it, it's, it's become, you know, so the children should ask them. Eingelegenheit. Was is this episode? Was darf man essen Eingelegenheit? Right? Why do? Why do? Eingelegenheit. So that's the um, bitter grinsen. I again the Yiddish. Uh, oh, the grinsen. I love that one. Yeah. The, the, the bitter grinsen. Yeah, the grinsen. Yeah. The grinsen that stole uh, Pesach. But here, here in Quebec, we do the four questions in French. In our family, we had, um, you know, when, when kids came and we have the whole shtick was, every, it was all different types of languages. Yeah, I yeah. have heard something that a number of people have said to me and, and my son, I think, has given me very subtle hints that we'll come to the Seder dad, but it's got to be kid friendly. And I've heard this from a number of different uh, sources, uh, from people who have said that this is what they do. They actually, um, uh, and it's on one of my podcasts, which I give a, a little bit of shout out for, uh, that I did with Sam Juni this week, dressing up, not just like the Sephardim who walk around the table, but actually create a sort of play and that people dress as Paro and, 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 and come in. Look, I don't know if loincloths are still in or not, but but the point is that to actually to 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 create a <laughs> a tableau of. Of, of what was going on, like the Rambam says, right? right? To actually present the seder in a in a, in a real without, you know, uh, I, I thought that was interesting that parents are doing that. They're they're getting costumes, you know, they're, they're leaving the room for a minute, and then right. they're coming they're coming back in, you know, with a shaved head like the old Brinner saying, etc. 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 I think he that I think that was. That wasn't actually Anna and the King of. That was in the um, the King, King and I. I yeah. yeah, but okay. But it's basically the same character. It's the same thing. I'm saying <laughs> when, when the old Brenner is playing the King and I, and then he's playing Paro. He's basically the same thing. Same. And then when he's the gunslinger in Westworld, he's also the same person. Same, right? <laughs> and then when he's Taurus Bulba for those real films, yeah, he's just this bald. He's just this bald, menacing guy. That's what he is.
But uh, unlike you, that are, that is very unmenacing. No, but I like the toys they put it out now. With they put out these toys for the, each of the plagues. Oh yeah, and then the the, the politically correct are offended by our celebration of, of the plagues. You know, it's it's very it's a lot. You know, that's a, that's a, a, a oh no, problem. the woke culture is is on its way to canceling. I, I don't know. We got to rethink the plagues. I mean, you know, uh-huh. do we really want to celebrate the, uh, the the pain inflicted on the on, on Egypt? I mean, you know, it's a, I yeah. mean, we do take uh, wine out of our glass to, to, as an expression of our profound empathy. Yes, yes. That's, I think that is one of the most recycled dvarim that you even in uh, Spielberg's Munich. I think that the, if you remember, you remember Munich from Spiel. Yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. So that was like the, the conversation. Yes, we spill from the wine because we are, we, we, we do not celebrate the, uh, the yeah, death yeah. of others. Look, um, which, look, politically incorrect, though it might be, uh, all, all of what we know tell us that this was, they relished watching the, um, the, yeah. the, the comeuppance of the Mitzrim, watching them dead. I mean, that's what the whole idea of Kriyas Yamsa was to see right. those dead, see those dead bodies spewed out on the. That's the guy who did it, right? That the, the, the satisfaction of seeing the 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 murderers uh, right. being spewed there. You're right; it's very unpolitically correct, and um, and uh, you wonder because what else you you know when, when, you know you're supposed to talk about. Um, uh, it'd be interesting to see the the politically correct woke star and what they are zeroing in on. Oh, um, you don't want to know. I mean, I've googled some of this stuff. I would assume it's I would assume it's about Rwanda and Syria and yeah. and, and 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 letting people into the United States from the southern border and things like that, right? Listen, it's a you know, I mean, it's not a new tension. I mean, uh, sure, it's enlightenment. The tension has been between those. Jews who are who emphasize their particularity as Jews and those who are desperate to demonstrate the universalism. I mean, uh, but, takes different yeah. shapes and forms every generation. And the fact that it's so that every family sort of like brings to it its 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 own individual uh, yeah. sensibilities, I think, is great. And I mean, not yet. I mean, I think for a lot of families, the, the goal of the seder is simply to avoid violence, and, <laughs> and that's considered a successful seder. If you can get to the seder and you know, you didn't have a fight with your brother-in-law. You know, it's a successful thing. Yeah, well, Zoom, you know, again, with Zoom starum and COVID starum, that's sort of been put in the side. But you're right. That's that's hopefully uh, on the other side that's what we're looking for. Another it's strange conflict. We talk about Erev Pesach Shachal B'Shabbos. Um, we have Israeli elections that are happening like the week of Pesach, right when everybody religiously was probably saying, I have time to wait in line to vote. I got, you know, I've got an oven that needs cleaning and and stuff. I mean, it it may depress turnout. I read somewhere, and again, no one knows this stuff because although the polls in Israel have recently been more accurate than the polls in the U.S. and in Europe, um, they do claim that a lower turnout benefits Bibi. I, I, you know, so who knows? Well, I mean, of, of all my, you know, short list of friends uh, who know stuff, um, <laughs> you are definitely my go-to guy now, especially since we've uh, connected on the Samaritus Rex. As what's going on in Israel? I mean, you know, you are the, the listen. Here's the bottom line in Israel. Go ahead. Is that is that you would imagine that Bibi would be on top of the world, right? He has vaccinated a greater proportion of Israel than, you know, than any other country in the world. Okay. Um, 
the Abraham Accord, as they're called. I mean, if I was, if Phoebe came to me and said, what should my commercial be? So uh, I would say, yeah, very simple. Uh, you run a clip of uh, John Kerry during the Obama administration saying Israel will never make peace with the Arab world until they resolve the Palestinian issue. And show a picture of him, uh, you know, signing the Abraham Accords, you know, with, uh, with the UAE and, uh, and, and the other countries. So, you know, you know, Habibi Dabat, I'd run a clip of somebody like Shimon Peres saying, Israel's economy will never take off until, you know, uh, there's a resolution of the Palestinian issue, and then show Bibi standing in front of the Google headquarters in, in, in Israel, and, and and the quintupling of foreign investment in Israel since BDS started, ironically, and you know that kind of, you know I would I would run a clip of uh, of somebody predicting when the world when, when countries will be vaccinated, and then have Israel's record. So, in other words. At, you know, the tagline, BV continues to prove everyone wrong. You know what I mean? That's it. You know, it, but here's the problem. Looking from the outside, Israel is a major success, a huge success. COVID vaccination, the economy, the peace accords, the major success, groundbreaking success and, and achievement. And on the other hand, if you're an Israeli, what is your memory of the last year? And that Israeli citizens are very angry at the what they understand to be the disparity in compliance with COVID regulations, the indulgence of that non-compliance by Bibi. And when I say the non-compliance, I'm referring to the Haredi community. And um, that is the perception of Israeli. And again, obviously, I mean, I don't mean to uh, say that a Haredi were, you know, were, uh, we're the only ones violating COVID rules. But to the typical Israeli, they see Bibi being beholden to the Haredi parties as guiding his approach to Corona throughout. And that... Uh, because, are- because of the 16 seats that they represent, right? right. Shas and, and UTJ right. together, those 16 seats, although out of 120... Doesn't seem no, but we all know the margins, are, the margins in Israel are so narrow, and the difference between the blocks are so narrow that, you know, a, a move of a seat or two determines who's prime minister, and uh, Bibi could suffer. In other words, those political parties that have always postured themselves as being, uh, you know, critical of the Haredi community, sometimes anti-Haredi, like the Victor Lieberman, many people believe will benefit from the a year when the uh the uh, anger i can't put it any differently the anger at the Kuwaiti community intensified during covid there's no right, question okay but let me just push back for a second here and again I, I, this is an area that i just speculate on i don't know it the way you do but we all know that you know that there has there's been a consistent since the hakamasa medina a a a um, tension and uh, especially as this Haredim didn't serve in the in the military, they don't need much to stir up uh, antipathy and anger against the Haredim and to believe that a percentage of idiotic Haredim represent all of them. So uh, yes, I mean this is always the double-edged sword. On one hand, it's not our fault. On the other hand, you have to know that this is the way you're perceived. This is always the mantle of Kiddush Hashem. Yeah, you're right. It's, you're, you're not as bad as them. But on the other hand, we've got to rein them in and do whatever we can because those yahoos who burn buses and do all these ridiculous things, 
are, are, are perceived as all of us. But I, I think to say that it didn't spring uh, sui generis. They, I don't know if I said that right, but the point is, is that there's always been a sense that you know the, the Haredim are, are are scofflaws, they're parasites, they don't serve in the army, uh, and, and this is just another example of them acting as kingmakers and uh, under the the the, the terrible uh, you know, hovering of of the specter of death. <laughs> so that's why I think it's it's, it's sort of like you know, listen, there's a lot of misconceptions outside of Israel about Israel in terms of the Haredi community, because you ask most Israelis, everybody has had personal contact. And the personal contact enormously mitigates the animosity because overwhelmingly the Haredi community is a wonderful community. Tragically, there is a small number of them which cast a negative light on all of them. The, the assault on Israeli soldiers in May Sharon, the burning of the buses in Bnei Brak, whatever it is, and, and some of the stories are far from accurate. But and but on a on a day to day basis, Israelis, Haredi secular, get along much better than people uh, think. But you're right; there is a um, foundation upon which the animosity has been built because. The, the lack of service in the army, whatever uh, uh, other issues, and, and, and the lack of employment sometimes, and, and and again the power that they hold because of Israel's electoral system. So there is some animosity there, but again, I don't. I think on, on a ground level there is much more, uh, much many more examples of good relations and bad relations. Uh, but again, part of the problem is is that. If you're a typical secular Israeli, you know, kid growing up in Tel Aviv, what's your first encounter with a rabbi? Okay, you, you want to get married. You come out of the army, whatever. You go to India for a couple of years. You come back, fall in love. You want to get married. You go to the rabbi. And in Israel, the rabbi is a government bureaucracy. Very few people in history of mankind have walked out of a government bureaucrat's office saying, "Gee, those are wonderful people." You know, you, you, nobody likes government bureaucrats, and they're intrusive. They they pry into people's personal life, and uh, and and they make you do things that are in a way, in a manner which is not always inviting. And we put ourselves in a negative position by turning religion in Israel to a state function, by not having uh, the separation that we have in North America between. The two arenas of life, government and religion. Okay, so this is really getting so, us. To, this is getting. I mean, this is really beyond. Although it's true, there is a certain Venn diagram that you could draw that there are uh, rabbonim who are in the rabbanut now who would, we would call Haredi rabbonim, although they work for the government. Uh, but but the rabbanut itself is not what we what, is not specifically a Haredi arm. It is a um, you know, the, the Haredim are really. Oh, for uh, sure. But again. Uh, Again, since the ascendance of Shas, the Rabbanut is much more Haredi than it was 30 years ago. Yes, yes, 100%. And again, I, just to, if you listen to a podcast I did this week with Rabbi Bechhofer, we talked about how the Rabbanut has become marginalized and, and, and really insignificant uh, from everybody's perspective. And I, but you're, you're correct. Because it's a bureaucracy, um, what happens is, is that there's a lot of frustration and people right. feel... Um, they're not given the type of kind counseling that you and other rabbis here right. in North America do. It's basically, yeah, get over with, where's the tick? 
okay, yes, goodbye. And they don't have a sense of love and kindness from the rough. Let me ask you a question. Oh, one Bob. second. I, I got to pause you for one second. I got to, you pause for a second. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit um, about, uh, you know, obviously, you know, you, know you, you, you exhibit a lot of love and, and understanding, I think, for all Jews. And I think what you're saying about the Haredim uh, is a message that needs to be heard by your, um, by your community. Uh, but the community that I guess more aligns in your mind, at least, is is the is the modern um, I wouldn't call it the modern Orthodox, but religious Zionist uh, parties, and it seems like there's sort of like a blip. They don't really count anymore. What happened there? Well, what happened? Listen, on the one hand, you could say they're the victims of their own success, meaning you have people like uh, Bennett and whatever these Motrich and these other who are really the children of the religious Zionist community who are now leading other parties. The ideology is very much in sync with what the religious Zionist community has evolved to, but the specific old national religious party, Mafdal, has almost made itself irrelevant in that their outlook has permeated other parties and uh, certainly the Likud. And also if Here's the other issue. The Bafdal party defined itself, I wouldn't say exclusively, but close to exclusively, around issues of Yehud and Shomron and, and what to do with the, uh, in, in, in the settlement in, in the territories and, and the security issues. So if you've made your number one issue holding on to land, uh, denying the statehood to the Palestinians, then why vote for anybody but we could? If that's your number one issue, then right-wing parties in general, religious or not, reflect your priority. Because again, the Mafdal, you know, you can say after 67, whatever it was, no longer became, or no, was no longer the repository of a broader religious agenda of education, uh, whatever, even uh, social agenda, it became a, a, an agenda that was, I, again, I don't want to like to use the word exclusively, but was primarily certainly a, a security uh, one, a, a security agenda, uh, uh, holding on to territories. And again, you can say it's not just security, it's about you know, the biblical homeland and everything else. But if that becomes your, your issue, as it did, then where is your vote better placed in terms of securing the future of Yehud and Shamran? So... That that was part of the uh, the dynamic. Also, ironically, Bibi's success may in fact hurt him. And let me explain what I mean. You remember after uh, America won the Cold War, the Berlin One Wall falls down after you know during the uh, the presidency of George Bush the first. And what happens? He loses his reelection bid to Bill Clinton. And what analysts at the time said was, you know. Now that security issues are not paramount in the mind of American voters, they could take a risk on an unknown Southern government, right? But as long as security is the number one issue, they're going to vote, you know, somebody who has stronger credentials on, on national defense, like Alan George Bush. But so, so they, in other words, it's only because the Cold War was won that Bill Clinton gets elected. So in, in previous elections with BB, yeah, people didn't like them. But when they got into the voters' booth, they would say, well, 
who's going to keep me safe? Now that we have the Abraham Accord, and now that the Palestinian issue is down is lower on the agenda, maybe like Clinton after George Bush the first, Israelis will indulge the idea that if national security is not number one on the agenda, maybe I can take a risk on a guy like Yair Lapid. You know, and so, but but on the other hand. Those who follow things closely, as most Israelis do, I think, you know, certainly Iran is still, uh, you know, on, on, on top of the agenda in terms of national security. So I'm, I'm not sure if that dynamic really is operable here. But there's no question that if Israelis believe that national security, while still being a priority, is not the decisive priority, then you may see people move away. I mean, I remember conversations with people in Israel, you know, who hated me, who said, and every election, they say, I'm, I'm committed to voting again. But when they get in there and push comes to shove and they got to worry about their future and their safety, they vote for Bibi because that mythical 2 a.m. phone call, you'd still rather have it be answered by a guy like Bibi than anybody else. And um, so, so, so in terms of your, your predicting, I think everybody is in line with you that, that Bibi will probably run this next government. Um, right? That's what you're predicting. I, again, the polls today show that yes, that not I wouldn't say that it's a clear yes, that he seems to be rising in the polls. But again, when you look at the block versus block, it's hard to predict. Yeah. We're talking here about a few thousand votes here and there. When you say anyway, even though you obviously uh, are, bleed Israel and love uh, everything about Eretz Israel um, and, and, and are worried about the security of Israel, don't you think there's an argument to be made, even if you are aligned with that philosophy, that it's time for young blood? I mean, we talked last week about the Pope stepping down. Right. Um, I mean, Bibi is not necessarily ready for a wheelchair, but he has been around for so long. Doesn't it make sense to, to have someone with a little bit of a different perspective? As, yeah, as listen, there's no, Bibi's the longest serving prime minister in Israel's history. He's been along as, around, you know, for if you're a young person in Israel, he's the only prime minister you basically ever were, were aware of. Um, so, you, you know, it's always good, you know, that, you know, change is a good thing sometimes. <laughs> so, uh, and people do, you know, Winston Churchill lost his first election after World War II. I mean, people get tired of being the same guy around. But also, Israeli politics doesn't always attract the best people. So there, there aren't necessarily better alternatives. And, and it seems, I just want to go back to one other thing that you've said, and we'll wrap this up here. Um, you know, I guess years ago, like in, when we were kids, uh, if we would see a representative of the Aguda and then a representative of Maftal, we would have, we would have heard such drastic differences about their vision for the state of Israel. But also what you said before, a religious difference about the significance of the Medina, the significance of of, of, of fighting for the Medina, um, of maybe even messianic aspects uh, of, of the Medina. And that's missing in the political discussions now, right? That's like, you know, part of, you say you, in some way you say they were, they are victims of their own success because They've, they're aligned completely security-wise with people that aren't religious, but they completely met the same mindset. But what about that other part of religious Zionism, the part that speaks to you? 
the part that speaks about a vision of, of what the state is about, uh, the idea of, 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 of elevate the, the real spiritual parts of Zionism that Rhinus and others were, were, were taken by. So I, I think that exists in Israel, but there's, there's been another dynamic at play since the Gaza withdrawal. And I really, and it, it's, it, I, th- I, I really do link it to the Gaza withdrawal, although that's certainly open to, to discussion and debate. There was one of the tenets of religious Zionism was that Rabbi Cook's idea that uh, even the secular Jews who are building Israel are involved in a holy uh, endeavor. Once Israel withdrew from Gaza, and you remember the trauma around that period, these are wonderful Jews who were from Gaza, and they were kind of misled by their own leadership. I want to say misled. They were, they were, they. It could have been handled better. In other words, to the last minute, the leadership of Gaza said, "Don't worry, it won't happen." And it did happen, and because they felt it, was, and it was more. Let's just tell our listeners who might not be aware that it was more than just a withdrawal; it was a dismantling totally right. of of a community. There were right. shuls that were broken apart. There were guarded. Dramatic event. I was in Israel that day, and I saw them when they came to the Kotel. They marched from Gaza. Heartbreaking, absolutely heartbreaking. But at that moment. A portion of the religious community felt so deeply betrayed that they moved away from that cooking and idea that the secular Jew in Israel could be trusted with the land of Israel. And therefore, they became, to put it mildly and diplomatically, less invested in the organs of the state. So you have a rise in what's called the Kardal movement, you know, you have a rise in religious Zionist kids not serving in the army because the the mechanism of the state had been desanctified by its withdrawal from Gaza and they broke trust with the uh, with, with the dream and and so you really did have this phenomenon of, of members of the religious Zionist community moving away from traditional religious Zionism because of things like the Gaza withdrawal which so in their mind had so flamboyantly put on display the fact that the secular Israeli is not what Rabbi Cook imagined him to be. Right. And this was, of course, uh, you know, historic. I mean, and when they write the history of this, I think people will talk about the psokim of the chief rabbi, Rav Shapiro, who, who actually um, courageously uh, wrote that this was against what halacha should be, that the soldiers should refuse to to follow their orders. And I think uh, Rav Aaron Lichtenstein, Zechot Sadek Levrocha, was actually the, the voice telling them, look, if, 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 if the generals and strategists who represent the best minds on security are telling us to do this, then as a religious Zionist, you need to follow them, right? And and that was an interesting debate there, right? Because you you had for the first time not a, not not the Haredim saying that the government is terrible, but you actually, as you say, although from Shapiro was definitely a, a, right. a, a, a very much what we call a typical rov, but the people that followed him were being told in psak that disagree with the government, right? You can you, you don't follow the orders of the army, and. Um, and you're right. That is that that could have been the moment that that the ripple effect is the weakening of the party and the almost the insignificance of the party. Right? It's it's like as you say, it's just Yumina. It's no longer the voice. 
isn't that an incredible, it's so, in a way, I don't know of voices in the Knesset really mean ultimate, ultimate significance, but I think it's, 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 it's quite uh, um, ironic that, that the voices, there's more voices in the Knesset of, 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 of Haredi <laughs> ideas than there are of, 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 of what we would call the, that, that, that beautiful Rav Kook, Rhinus, right. um, uh, type of you know combination is not there anymore, right. and uh, yeah, and and I'm I'm sure that uh, it, it really ends up, I think, frustrating many people like my son who served in the Israeli army, um, is is voting Yamina. My son mm-hmm. who went to the yeshivas, he went to he wasn't in Hester, but he did serve in, in, in the Israeli army. He came from America, was a chayil bodeid, and it, it's it's. Because in so many ways, you know, we talk about the identity, and, and we don't, as Americans, and I know Canadians perhaps as well, our, our identity as Jews isn't so much aligned with the party we vote for, and the, right. Right, we're not polarized. But in Israel, I think it is. In Israel, you know, no matter, yeah, this is the party is a reflection of. By the way, that cuts many ways because, for instance, when an Israeli says they're Chiloni, and American Jews imagine that word secular to mean what it means in American context, they could not be further from the truth. The typical Jew in Israel who calls themselves Chiloni, right, is it's a political statement. It's not a statement of religious practice. It's a statement of, I don't like Koreni, right, and I don't want the government telling me what to do religiously. It's And, and you ask the Chiloni, well, do you eat bread on Pesach? They look at you like you're crazy. Of course not. Do you, eat, do you mix milk and meat in your home? Of course not. You fast and Kippur, of course I do. So what the word Chiloni means in Denver, it doesn't mean in Tel Aviv. It's a political state, as you say. In other words, that identification, it has so... So the typical Chiloni Jew in Israel is like a kind of right-wing conservative Jew in America. Right? They, and, and, and again, real Chilonim in Israel are a very small minority. When I say real Chilonim, people who really harbor antagonism against religion, and believe it's a terrible threat. That's a very small number of people. If you read the studies on personal religious practice in Israel, it is an astonishing numbers of people adhere to some form of traditional Jewish life. Which again is the argument that so many have made about going to Eretz Israel. That in other words, that it, yeah, it, we still cannot downplay the effect of being strangers in a strange land here, right? right? That same, as you say, that same person with his proclivities, if you would transfer him to Israel, that would automatically upgrade his adherence to mitzvot. And his I'll said, say something else. If you ask everybody who signed the Israel's Declaration of Independence, right, they all came back to life for one day. And they saw what Israel looks like today. None of them would believe. That means for the secular, the country is more religious. Well, the religious is more religious than it was ever going to be. I mean, it's remarkably different country than people predicted in the 50s and the 60s. Remarkably different. Economically, religious, socially, it has done so much better <laughs> by every in, in every way than anybody possibly imagined. Let's, add, yeah, let's put a, a period on today, because I know it's uh, right. you have a lot to do. And I, I would be the last person to stop you from... Pontificating. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you read my mind. But, you know, one of the statements we say, you know, we started today with Shabbos HaGodel, um, 
Hashata Hocha, Lishona Habo Ba'ar the Israel, right? Hashata Avde, or actually I said it the wrong way, Hashata Avde, Lishona Ba'ar the Um, you know, what do you believe? You know, uh, you know, can an Israeli, you know, we say he's probably going to have a Seder. There's, don't you think there's probably some dissonance when an Israeli says that, right? When an Israeli says, Hashat Lashona the Israel. I mean, what, what is, you know, the, to, to tell the Israeli that you are an Eved, uh, you are not in Israel, isn't that, you, uh, You've probably had a Seder in Israel, right? Have you ever been? No, I've never been in Israel. Israel. So it's sort of strange in a way because a holiday that celebrates our freedom is also a holiday. We have two extremes of insanity, right? And I I say it with with love, deep love. When we say, shut up of your slime or, or, you know, you see your slime, there's great dissonance in that. But but remember, for 1900 years, remember the dissonance in saying, right when they were still so in, when times were terrible we still said they were good and when times are wonderful we still say they could be better <laughs> yeah and, and, right and and i think that for the israeli who's going to vote and then go to his seder um maybe even the most secular can say that boy th- 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 this is a a um uh, uh, you know, I, I'm not. You know, uh, I'm not going to use the the letter, but a bomb. You know what I'm saying? This is a blank bomb of of a country. And maybe they could also, even though they are in Eretz Israel, uh, say, "Yeah, look, Lashana Haba, it should be the Eretz Israel that that better. that we could be a better one." Uh, and, and 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 a more meaningful one. I, I think we, as you say, it's only one seder, so it's <laughs> it's it's it, it, there's no do-over on the next night. Right. I wish you all the best. I think be that, well. Uh, a, 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 a to I think ne- next week, I guess with the uh, it, it's 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 too busy for any of us. I think to be here. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So for Emeritus Rex, we wish you the best here, and and hopefully, Lashona uh, Bob. But maybe even this year, perhaps. Uh, be well, everyone. Take care. Be well. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.